Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe wherever you're catching this episode. And this is a topic that is always very popular amongst the listeners, which is dealing with difficult bosses. And with me today, I have Matt Oren, who is a coach and thought partner for founders and CEOs. And Matt combines his 20-year career as an executive facilitator and investor with a passion for supporting leaders of evolutionary businesses. Matt co-founded Evolution to partner with companies to fulfill their purpose as iconic, world-enriching entities and currently serves as managing director. He's worked with Slack, Snapchat, Notion, Radiology Partners, Coursera, Crosscut Ventures, NVA, Glassdoor, Scopely, Density, Wink, and Kleiner Perkins, among many others. Matt formerly worked with DaVita Healthcare Partners, a highly progressive and culture-focused Fortune 500 healthcare company as senior director and global lead on their wisdom team. There, Matt served as the steward for the culture globally, developing leaders and facilitating change through coaching, facilitation, and training. Matt's team was awarded Training Magazine's Top 125 Award for the five years he helped lead it, which is amazing. Prior to DeVita, Matt worked as an organizational effectiveness consultant at the groundbreaking Los Angeles Universal Preschool, LAUP, building on organization that coached early childhood education professionals with developmental curriculum. Matt has been trained and mentored by luminaries in the field of organizational development, such as Peter Block, Chris Worley, and Edie and Charles Seashore, and continually, continuously learns and integrates current thinking into his coaching practice, such as neuroleadership and mindfulness. Matt holds a master's degree in organizational development from Pepperdine University, where his thesis research was focused on building trust in teams. And as an author, Matt has published articles in both academic, peer-reviewed journals, as well as trade magazines, such as Training and Development. He's been a regular presenter at the Organization Development Network annual conference as well, and we're super excited to have Matt on the podcast because what a wealth of experience, and I'm so excited that you're going to be uh, broaching this subject with us today. So thank you, Matt, for joining. Thank you. Great to be here. 
Yes. What a whole host of accolades. Um, I, I love getting to know not only the guests that come on, but also getting to see all of the success and achievements. So kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been quite a ride the last 10 years of evolution and lots of examples of both bad and good bosses, but sadly, <laughs> mostly uh, bad, I would say. Yeah. Well, you know, the bad bosses and the bad leadership, they there is a special place for them in our experiences. Like I, I've talked about before on the podcast that if it wasn't for the bad leaders that I've had, I wouldn't be the good leader that I am. I think that I am today. So I'd love to maybe start there. Like, where does this topic of dealing with difficult bosses or dealing with bad leadership kind of spark interest and passion for you? Yeah, and I don't mean to be overly glib to that mostly bad bosses. I think what I the the kind of the content behind that is that it's hard. I mean, it is a hard thing to live a full life where you potentially, you know, I have a spouse and kids and all of the things externally, and then you have your own work. And then, oh, by the way, you have to manage like all of these people who need things from you, both, you know, your what the, the work product, but then also social emotional needs. And then you likely have somebody else that you're reporting to who needs things from you as well. And so the majority of folks that are, you know, what you would call kind of a line manager are it's pressurized, right? It's not easy. And so this isn't, you know, it's kind of an odd start to say like, look, but, you know, it's normal to be a bad boss, but it's hard is what I would say. And um, I think a degree of empathy is really important in this topic. And those of you that have been bosses kind of know the, you know, the pressure that uh, 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 that exists. Um, the, the other kind of the flip of that, right, is boss. Everybody knows the Gallup research that the number one reason people leave a job is because of their boss. Um, and, you know, as a, as a point of fulfillment, as a, as a, as a sticking point for retention, I mean, this really is kind of the front line. And so understanding, you know, that, you know, the power you have when you're managing other people is a really important thing as a manager. And then, you know, there's also a lot of skill to, um, manage up right, to manage your boss, to manage your manager and, and work with them uh, in ways that, you know, uh, range from, you know, having difficult conversations with them to the structure of your one-on-ones, et cetera. Um, but the, the manager uh, direct report relationship is, I mean, that's like the fundamental core of business. So. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. And, you know, as I was thinking about what you said that it's hard, it really is there have been many times on the podcast where this topic has come up that not everyone is meant to be a people leader, that not everyone wants to be a people leader and that's okay. And that it is a second job. You have your own job that you're fulfilling, whatever that job might be. And then to manage people on top of that is its own responsibility. And it comes with a lot of, or I should say a tremendous amount of pressure to your point. And on top of that pressure, there's a learning curve depending on whether someone has been in this role or not. There's a, you know, a different way within each company that leaders are expected to act and behave and all of that stuff. And I just think about how there are companies even that I've worked for in the past that kind of saw this natural progression. Okay. When someone's ready to get promoted, 
they're going to get promoted into being a manager. But that's not necessarily a skills-based promotion. Not everyone is going to have the right skills or even the interest in wanting to manage people because it is so much work. Yeah, and it, and it is a whole different skill set. It, it's the mm -hmm. skills of people. And one of the reasons why technology companies, you know, and engineering organizations, there's two levels that emerge. One is the individual contributor and one is the manager. And the pay structure is the same. It just acknowledges that, you know, you, you know there, are, there are two different like paths that you can kind of take and mm -hmm. very specific to engineering, but others. And, um, you know, learning the craft of how to manage other people you know, if you think of leadership as a human skill, it really begins with, you know, learning about yourself and understanding mm -hmm. that I think of, you know, myself as a manager uh, and, and I am. There are in any given week, I give myself, um, you know, subpar grades and, I, you know, maybe I'm overly hard on myself, but I'm like, I don't spend enough time with people because I'm busy and doing my own work. I'm not thoughtful. We're thinking about like, what do they need and how can I be more clear around my expectations and checking in with them? Uh, I have like an edge where I'm just like a little clipped with someone that, you know, I may not realize the impact. So in any given week, when I'm under my own, you know, there's all of those things that I need to kind of consider on top of, as you said, the normal work that I have to do. And human beings don't thrive in pressure, right? Pressure is the thing that, um, you know, it activates our, our, our sympathetic nervous system, you know, worst case, we kind of jack into fight or flight. Uh, we're anxious, we're edgy, we're afraid, all of those kind of things that spit off kind of maladaptive patterns and reactive patterns. And so, you know, when we talk about bad boss, there's a, there, I think there's a continuum of people. There's like very clinical, literal narcissists, right? On one yeah. side to me on the other side, who's probably like pretty good, but in any given week, if I'm tired or my kids are sick or whatever, I'm like less, more or less conscious. And so, sure. you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, a firm like evolution exists is, is like, it's like, man, get a coach that can help you process, decompress, build skill and reflective capabilities. So you can sort yourself out because it is a lot, uh, like parenting in that sense. I use that metaphor all the time in the sense that like, that every little subtle thing and tone of voice and the way they look at you, like they're, they're, all of those things are communicating. And so yeah. that clip speech that I may have in a one-on-one, -on -one, somebody leaves feeling really bad when I'm just a little stressed out, right? Or they're looking at my face, like my kids do, and like it's tight and they're reading that as the data versus what I say. And that's mm -hmm. what's being downloaded into their nervous system. And so... Um, it's really hard. And, you know, that that's why, you know, when you go into a one-on-one -on -one and you're like, wow, I feel really uneasy after that. Like, what was going on? I feel a little thrown. Is there something I don't know? Are they not happy with me? I couldn't read their face. And then, you know, the haunting thing about that, and this is where the responsibility comes as a manager, and then also the acknowledgement of the impact is, you know, you'll take that with you for the rest of your day and, and days, mm. right? And yeah. I actually have a bad boss story, like my quintessential bad boss story that I should probably tell as an yeah, illustrator. Yeah, please do. <laughs> you know, it, this is also one of our favorite because we lead management trainings and it's a great intro that kind of communicates the impact of and the power of being a manager. And we say to everybody, 
turn to a partner or get in your small group and share your worst boss story. And everybody always has one. And there's always just these incredible horror stories that come out. So um, I don't want to, I want to, you know, protect the innocent here and not share names, but I was new to a job in a new city. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And I rolled in and it was a big city and I was from a smaller city and I just, you know, I was trying to sort myself out, but I did not know the context. I did not know the people. It was a job in public affairs. So I was trying to network and, you know, work in the political channels and I didn't really know anybody. And my boss at the time, uh, there's a couple other people on the team. Uh, I remember first, the first thing that happened is everybody I'm dating myself here got a Blackberry, but me. Right. Oh, I used to love blackberries. Right. And I was like, oh, what's up with that? Right. And so like that didn't feel good. And then yeah, and then she would pull me into her office and she was like, look, I really think we're, you know, we're paying you a lot of money. I really don't know if you're worth it. Like, do you oh think gosh. you should be on this team? You know? And she's like, what, what do you think? I just don't think this is, you know, and, and here I am brand new to a city. Like I don't have a safety net here. I don't have any family. Uh, I don't really have any money because I'm super young. Um, And she's saying these things to me and, you know, you're not worth the money. And like, I really don't think you're going to fit here. And I would go home and I mean, like, I would want to curl up in a ball. And my, you know, girlfriend at the time would have to like put me together like Humpty Dumpty. But like being in that environment, I can still feel my body go back to that place of the fear and the anxiety of how she would do those things. I would get left out of meetings and, Mm. you know, and, and, and just, you know, so we could like judge her and critique her all I want, but just the impact on me had a long tail. And still to this day, I can feel it. Mm. And it, it, you know, uh, it impacted everybody around me. I mean, there was a point where my girlfriend was exhausted and felt kind of sad and wanted to kind of like, take space because she was being impacted because you take your work home for you. And everybody has a story like that, right? Where their life is disastrously impacted by somebody um, where they're in a powerless position. And that's a really, really hard thing. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, those things that are, you know, really drive a wedge between uh, within like what could be considered an inclusive moment, like the BlackBerry example, for example, as an example, um, not being given a BlackBerry, maybe something today would be like not being given a work phone or not being given, you know, or not being invited to meetings, as you said, that it really does have a huge impact. And I can't fathom asking anyone like, oh, are you, I don't know if you're worth it. Are you sure you want to be here? Are you sure this is going to work? Like that's, it's not even bold. It's just downright rude. And like, yeah. why, why even have, why, why add to your team? Why be a leader? If this is the mentality that you take when someone has gone out of their way, not only to potentially relocate if you've relocated for that role, but then on top of that, like you're, it's your first experience with your leader. And it's, if that's day one, I couldn't imagine what day 50 or day 365 was, you know, if it, if you even got to that point, because I don't know that most people would even stay in that environment. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the postscript, by the way, I said, protect the innocent and clearly they're not innocent. So in some ways I shouldn't, um, I I had moved, I had kind of, I was like, it was like a startup ish kind of thing. And I was bossless for a while. Like the CEO Mm -hmm. was my boss and then they came in and they were, 
Um, this organization, I think, ended up failing. There's a number, there's a couple of things. There's usually rarely one thing that causes a business or organization sure. to fail. But one of them was this person and another person who were toxic in the culture. Like I, you know, the, the kind of the cold comfort was I was not the only one that saw mm. this person's impact. And, you know, the, the other thing is as a leader, if you let people who are culturally toxic fester, it then virally infects everything else and yes. it took the place down. Right. And, you know, I remember thinking the CEO, I'm like, why are you letting this person persist? There were so many happy, joyful, earnest people working there. The mission was really cool. And, you know, so really, it, it, you know, that, that was a, a bit of a sad postscript. I ended up transferring to another department um, mm. and, you know, it was kind of buffered from it and, um, you know, kind of was saved, but it was a really scary couple of months. Um, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. That's really yeah. hard. And, you know, it's so impactful what you said that all it took were these two individuals, or a couple people to really dismantle something that was otherwise well-built potentially and could have been much more successful and potentially even around today. And it's really all it takes. I mean, we hear the term, you know, cancerous in the sense of how things yeah. spread and, and that it really only takes one person who contributes to a toxic work environment to, to enable that across an organization, across departments, because not only, especially if they're leaders, but because not only are they influential in like this top-down approach, but they're modeling behavior. Like if someone is in a director level or an SVP level or executive role and they model that type of behavior, it sends a message to the organization that that's what makes you successful. And then the rest of the organization either acts potentially similarly to become as successful as they perceive this person to be, or they leave. And then you just yeah. have an environment that's toxic, period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and well said. I mean, leadership is fundamentally about role modeling. It's again that parenting metaphor. They they watch what you do versus what you say, the informal things that you reinforce. That is how culture replicates itself. I mean, humans mm -hmm. as a social species, like our social neurons are firing all the time and our little, you know, when we were, you know, in you know, primate tribes hundreds of thousands of years ago were just like primed to then replicate and the group then forms around those that are symbolically in leadership. And so right. personally now I'm like very, very vigilant if I am in power. When I see that stuff, I go like, whoosh. I mean, I've let somebody go on the first day, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and maybe that's like overly aggressive, but I think you got to move. The biggest no, regret you have to move of, fast. Yeah. That was just going to say that's the biggest regret of new CEOs is not moving faster on the underperformers uh, slash, you know, people that are bad cultural fits, um, et cetera. So that's really interesting that that's the biggest regret. And I am not surprised because, you know, CEOs are looking at their companies holistically and hopefully other business leaders are, are as well. Um, but it's true. You, you do have to move really fast when, when there is that person in an environment. I, um, I've shared bad leadership stories on this podcast so many times, but there's one leader that I'm thinking of who I did not report into who 
was, you know, this is, oh, years ago, but she was added to the team in a very high level, you know, C-suite position. And I mean, not only does the word narcissist come to mind, but everything that you can imagine that would make for a toxic work environment or like a bad leader, um, she emulated. And she really, she brought that to the team, so to speak. And there were, you know, as a as an HR professional and director of HR at the time, I remember really like raising the flag on this, like we cannot afford to have this person continue in the organization. And I remember it took a really long time to move through this person. And I think it's just, a, it's probably because of, you know, maybe some of these nuances, which is like, you know, oh, how have we held this person accountable? Do we, you know, do we have to give them an opportunity to improve and all of these things? But I don't always believe that people who treat others in a way that lacks compassion or, you know, lacks kindness or is just gener genuinely and generally not okay. I don't know that those people can actually change because that potentially is just who they are and how they are because it's what has gotten them to the role that they're in today. Like those people don't just all, all of a sudden become these bad leaders at some point throughout their career. At least I think this way, and I'm open to hearing if you have a different perspective too, and I, I'd love to hear, but it makes me think that as they've gone throughout their career, They've either been rewarded for the way that they they are and they act or they've never been told differently. And so that, you know, just innately rewards the behavior um, in, a, in a way that is maybe more subtle. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that at all. It's important for any business to focus on their culture, employee well-being, and strategic growth. But without the proper tools, it can be next to impossible to support the people behind your success. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that empowers you to engage and develop your people in an intuitive platform. Namely's award-winning technology covers your essential HR, payroll, and compliance needs in one place. Whether you have 20 or 1,000 employees, Namely's modern and integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone every day. With a mobile app and elegant UI, Namely empowers employees with self-service tools to request PTO, acknowledge peers, review pay stubs, and enroll in benefits. Namely helps you easily handle everything from onboarding, payroll, time tracking, open enrollment, employee engagement, and so much more. So you can get the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company really cares about. Namely will be a game changer for your business and your team. Learn how you can simplify your HR processes today at Namely.com. That's Namely.com. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions, and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. 
Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. It's a really good and interesting point. I think in today's workplace, it's more the latter. Mm. Um, I think it's, you know, it's very uncomfortable to have difficult conversations with people. That's why there's all those books. Um, <laughs> And, you know, a lot of times the people end up, you know, even if they get ejected from me, you know, moved out of an organization, they, they still don't get that feedback where it really lands in their body. And I think mm -hmm. like there was a work, work world that it really doesn't exist as much anymore. I mean, this is another podcast of anything. I think like the, the, the polarity now is people are kind of too nice in the work world and like maybe a better way of saying it is they're not having direct conversations versus the old one 50 years ago where people just yelled at each other. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you don't see that as much anymore. I mean, with the HR law and everything, I mean, I think like most of the time, you know, people don't grow up in those environments that, you know, I mean, we do see things like, you know, I see people that come out of like a place like McKinsey, uh, McKinsey's great, but it's very direct. And so sometimes you'll see that, but even the people that are like trained at McKinsey, they are socially sensitive. They understand how to be in conversation. They're not just jerks, but culturally. Mm -hmm. So I really think it is, they've never, either they've never been uh, held to account or given the feedback, or they truly, there is something with them that is more intractable and clinical around being potentially a narcissist. And so, mm. you know, it's a, it's a real issue. And, you know, and, and, and at some point I just kind of want to acknowledge, you know, it's like a worthy conversation for us to talk about, like, what do you do? if you have one of those people that you're reporting to. Right? Yeah, and what do you do? Yes, uh, <laughs> leave your job, no. Um, but that is one option, that's the existential option, option, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, people are always more, feel more stuck than they are. Um, and so that is kind of like one thing is like, you know, remember your agency. I, you know, 20% of the people I coach are job hunting you know, which I always mm. think is an interesting factor. It kind of haunted me a bit at first. I thought I was doing something wrong, but, you know, people are always in the question around like, how's their job? Is it fulfilling? Do they like it? Even if their boss is not, you know, bad. And so I really encourage people to make sure their resume is dusted off and, you know, they're, they're out there and they're networking. I just think like, you know, even internally, if you're in a big company, it gives you a sense of freedom to know that you're not trapped. And right. so, and it's also just like a good, you never know what's going to come your way. And there's so many stories, as you know, people are like, you know, just by having a coffee with somebody, they're like, whoa, I got this really cool job. I never wanted it, it came across my lap. So I think like that, that piece yeah. is really important for anyone. And especially because the feeling like I had of new city, no money, boss doesn't like me, that feeling of being stuck is like is just terrible. I can like, it comes up right now in my center core, just thinking about it. So set up mechanisms around you that are supportive, including having kind of career agency out there, right? That's one thing. Or, you know, this is like my dad wisdom, like make sure you have savings or 
you know, you're able to resource yourself and you've got a support circle of friends. Like the, when I have all of that stuff around me, I'm just like, I'm less buffeted by the wind. I'm just like, okay, I'm cool. This, my reality is not governed by this person. Right. right. So that, right. I mean, there's a continuum here. I'm going to kind of start on that side of things. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's that one. Um, you know, the other one is, I think, you know, when we started talking about this is um, you have to learn and have the skill of having difficult conversations. Um, my favorite yes. of the suite of books on that, there's Fierce Conversations by um, Susan Scott. There's, um, you know, Douglas Stone, Difficult Conversations. There's Crucial Conversations. Can't remember the author. Crucial is my favorite out of all those because it talks about psychological safety, how to bring things up that are not like, necessarily just hard, but crucial. And mm. so many people, I think, avoid having the difficult conversation about feelings and tone and, uh, you know, et cetera. And I just think like that, it, you know, you cannot leave, it, you know, if you haven't had that conversation and it itself also gives you agency where you, yeah. you know, and, and I can talk about how to do that. It's probably worth the four or five steps of like how to actually approach that conversation and then I'm going to get to talking about a little bit about narcissism and maybe the hardcore yeah. parts where it's like beyond a crucial conversation, but yeah, I'll pause please. for a second. No, I, I, I think that everything that you've said is exactly right. And I, I always like to say that when you take the initiative to give someone feedback or say, you know, hey, I really didn't appreciate the way that you spoke to me because of X, Y, and Z. I prefer when getting feedback that it's like one, two, three, whatever that conversation is. And I like rephrasing this as like crucial conversations because it doesn't always have to be difficult you do um, empower yourself and there is an there is an opportunity for that person to change and reflect not everyone is totally um, unsolvable as a project or a challenge and uh, it's you know most of the time leaders are not narcissists and they actually do care about how their team feels and they want that person to feel good most of the time. I, I feel positively about that. But yes, I would love for you to walk us through the steps. That would be great. Yeah. I mean, the the preceding step, maybe, you know, there's the create mechanisms and supports in your life so you don't feel stuck is the first thing. The second thing is always in life, but especially in a difficult situation, do your own personal work with a coach or in therapy, understanding like, what is coming up for you that may be your own construction that maybe, mm. you know, there's this phrase in Gestalt, like nothing hurts unless you tell it to yourself, right? Who does mm. this person re- represent? People are always projecting, you know, their family of origin issues on people in power. And so if you've got, you know, unresolved issues, you know, everybody that stands up in power is going to be mom or dad, for instance, right? Um, for, you know, I encourage everybody to read Loving What Is by Byron Katie and download her worksheets, go to the work.com, like deconstruct your thoughts, you know, the, those four Byron Katie mm-hmm. questions, right? What, you know, what's the thought? Um, who do you become when you have that thought, right? Is it true? Yes. Is it absolutely true? No. You're like, okay, that's when the crack comes. Who do you become when you have that thought? It's like, I become constricted and tight and anxious. And who'd you be without that thought? I'd feel free and joyful. So you understand like that person's not in the room with you. And when people have bad bosses, I give them, you know, I take them through the Byron Katie that goes questions and understanding like your thinking 
can give you freedom if you can kind of find ways to deconstruct it yes. as well as grounding yourself, doing mindfulness, getting in your body and doing physical activity. Cause then you can kind of sort out like, Hey, my boss actually is just an Enneagram eight, right? And Enneagram eights are challengers and they're just really direct and they're very pragmatic. They disdain weakness. When they're unhealthy, they can kind of become a little intimidating, but most of the time when they are healthy, they have big hearts and they're relational. So, you know, but, but I don't know most of the time, unless I'm doing the, the work of reflection where I end and they start. And if I haven't done that, I'm just assuming like they're a bad person when really there's a lot there about me. And by the way, I'm feeling shame because I'm like uneasy and I'm like good enough for this job and I have imposter syndrome and I didn't do so well in that last thing. And maybe they're judging me. So I'm projecting on them my own value. Like, you know, you've got to be doing your own work. It will give you clean hands for step three, which is approaching the conversation. And before you even have a crucial conversation, you have to do the inner and personal work because if the person feels you coming in, you know, in a power dynamic where you're like, you're wrong and I'm right. That never goes anywhere. Those of you that, you know, in your personal relationships, when both people have ownership, it goes poof. And if the person feels you coming in in a sense of righteousness that like, hey, narcissist, they're not going to react well to that, even if it comes out subconsciously. So that's mm -hmm. why scrubbing yourself first in that second step is really important. And then you can go into stating the data, the purpose of the conversation, giving some data that is objective first then giving subjective impact, right? Here's when this happened, I felt this using I statements because mm -hmm. you can't mm -hmm. argue with someone's experience. Right. And I would like to explore that with you, right? Before you even make a request, because that's aggressive. You don't say, and I want you to do this differently. You can't say that, especially if they have a, if they're your manager, but you can say, here's the impact. Pause. Mm. What was your experience? They're like, okay, thanks. I really appreciate you bringing this up. I'm under a lot of stress too. And I feel like we've been taking too long and I haven't really been honest with you about that. And so you've probably noticed me having an edge and I should have brought it up last week, right? That conversation happens all the time. You create yes. an opening for them to then speak their truth too. Then the last step is you can create an agreement. Great. Well, how can we work differently on this, et cetera. And Hey, can I, when I'm feeling that edge from you, can I ask you about how you're doing or what you're feeling? Because, you know, I just want to make sure. And they're like, absolutely great. So that is a winnable conversation that can happen. You know, again, read crucial conversations, purpose, data, impact, ownership, agreement, those steps uh, with the preceding step of doing your self check. Um, you, you, it's, you know, it's incumbent upon you to have several of those conversations probably until you feel stuck. And then you can call in help, right? So let's talk about that in a second. But before I kind of do that, I just want to pause anything that questions or, you know. No, I, I am eager to hear your next uh, set of principles because I think okay. it's really, it's really well noted. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's a situation where let's say then, you know, you've had a couple of those conversations and you're feel, still feeling stuck and, you know, you've listened and you've got your agency externally, you're, you know, got a savings account, you've got your like, you know, couch you can sleep on, so to speak. Uh, you've been doing a bunch of personal work. And so most of the time when you leave work, it stays there. Uh, you know, you don't take it home. And 
you've had a couple of the conversations, they're very defensive. It still doesn't feel good. The behavior persists, right? Okay. So now we're at that point, right? Because usually you have to have a couple of conversations. Crucial conversations usually are an escalation if the original conversation doesn't happen or the normal, hey, can I give you some feedback or make a request? Then you have crucial conversation. Okay. Mm -hmm. At that point, that's where you need to ideally pull in and have a conversation with your HR business partner or somebody that is uh, institutionally around for support. It could be an L&D person. Usually if you're in an organization of some size, there's going to be somebody in HR that can hold confidence and support you, um, including your protecting you legally, right? Which is really important. That's another, like my nervous system powers down knowing that there is employment law that protects you as a worker. Mm -hmm. And there are people in HR that are neutral islands that are there to help you gain that protection. And so when I do that, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better knowing that this person has my back uh, as well. And I should have said in the earlier stages where you're doing your own work and having a crucial conversation, having people you can connect with that aren't just going to collude with you that are, you're not you so you don't feel alone is really important. So it's really important to have your little mm -hmm. pod or a peer coach or, or people that you can just download with. So it's just really, really helpful. And there's some neuroscience behind that. But now we're at the point where you have an institutional ally too in HR. And it's really important that you're able to do that. And there actually is an escalation pathway, although we go to HR first, where you can go to someone else and escalate it two levels up in the organization if you need to do that. That's a dangerous move to not do before telegraphing to HR, right? Or even your own boss, right? And so I would not encourage anyone to do that, but I just want to let you know that when I, when somebody is two layers deeper and comes to me and says that it's alarming. And especially if they're a principled person, I'm glad they told me, I would much rather know than not, including if I just give them a little bit of coaching, because maybe they're earlier in their career and they've never experienced an Enneagram aid before. Mm -hmm. Right. I still am not going to disparage them. I'm going to have some, you know, uh, uh, empathy and, coach them how to coach, you know, work with their boss. And then in the back of my mind, I'm going to be like, hmm, that Enneagram eight that it reports to me, I'm going to keep my eyes open. And in my one-on-ones with them, I might coach them a little bit now that I have this confidential data, but I'm certainly not going to triangle it and say, you're right, let me go deal with that. Mm -hmm, jerk. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can't do the, the drama triangle, but it's okay. And so I just say that like that, that's a really important part of the step uh, as well. Um, and then I can think lastly, what I would just say is maybe to talk a little bit about narcissism if, if you want to do that. But again, I'll, I'll kind of like pause. I'm curious if there's anything else that you would recommend based on. No, I agree with everything that you've said. I, I, I find that it is really important to first for the employee to first make their own attempt and then to partner with HR, partner with someone institutionally, as you said, that is a neutral you know, party. And then I agree with you, if there's a need for escalation further, there should be this alarming, like, whoa, 911 when it gets to that level, which is yeah. why you don't do that first. Right. So I totally, totally agree. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, toxic bosses and narcissistic bosses, I think in the meantime, right, it's like an, an umbrella on top of all of this. Um, you know, there's a triage where you're just calibrating how much you interact, how much you feed it. Like, don't 
give your power away, so to speak, by, you know, it's like have tidy one-on-ones and speak directly Mm -hmm. to the work and don't get sucked in. And, you know, narcissists fundamentally are, um, it's a deep kind of wounding of the psyche. And when, you know, this kind of crack in the psyche happen, and, you know, usually a lot of times from trauma, um, they turn in on themselves and a closed loop essentially happens inside of them, right? This is kind of narcissism. This is like narcissists looking at the, the flower. And that loop um, is a self-reinforcing mechanism for the ego to feel good about itself and to feel whole, but it is a distortion mm-hmm. and it's not real. So anything that disrupts that feeling about who they are in the world, right, they won't let in. Uh, it is also something that needs to be fed constantly. So they will feed it themselves because like a closed system, there's no other data coming in and healthy regulation with other people. And the only way it stays alive is by kind of feeding it. So they, you know, they, they, they are constantly distracted. They're constantly obsessed with themselves. They make demeaning comments about other people, which is really about their own, uh, uh, insecurity. They, they, you know, are kind of, there's a sense of grandiosity to them and making promises that potentially aren't true. Uh, they're avoidant kind of, of any kind of conflict, especially anything that may be about their, um, uh, uh, approach that's like suboptimal, uh, you know, et cetera. They don't really take in negative feedback, um, at all. And there's a sense where they're kind of self-driven at all costs. And they're not in touch with reality, uh, uh, certainly from an empathetic sense, uh, ability to hear or open to another person's perspective, be impacted by it and regulate their behavior based on that, right? Mm. So if you're dealing with that person, the first thing you can do is just kind of realize that that's happening. Again, make sure they're just not a, it's not a stylistic thing or it's not your stuff. And, and just like, you know, what I just rattled off, which and there's probably other nuances to it, you can kind of hold them a l- with a little bit of detachment, at least for me, I, I don't take it personally that I'm kind of yeah, just like, I agree. They're just kind of the, in their little narcissistic spin That's and enough, I can right? kind of like the matrix game that a little bit and get my <laughs> needs met and just let them be in their thing. Yeah. I totally agree. It, in a way, it almost makes it a little bit easier when you've realized that someone is just this way, um, because then it does help you navigate versus someone who maybe doesn't typically act that way, is not a narcissist, doesn't act that way, and you're trying to navigate, is this a me thing? Is this a them thing? What more is going on? And then you have to go through those other steps. Not to say that you want a narcissistic boss, but it definitely can be helpful to recognize when someone is like crossing that threshold into narcissism territory. Um, But this has been so, so helpful. I feel like you've given us so many amazing tidbits and pieces of information. Um, Where would you recommend the listeners start if they wanted to kind of connect with you and maybe take you up on this opportunity potentially for coaching, for example, because this is a, a resource that you've shared, which I totally agree is a great person to have or a great, uh, entity to have in your corner, especially as you navigate careers. So where would you, where would they start? Yes. Thanks. Having a coach, uh, is a great choice. Having that ally, having somebody that can work you through what's yours, what's theirs, what are your moves? Uh, what do you want to do? 
Evolution, um, the coaching firm uh, that I'm managing director and co-founder of is we have 150 clients originally uh, with a house that Slack built, venture-backed growth stage startups. Um, we now work in big public companies and early stage startups um, beyond tech and healthcare. Um, and we've got 40, I think, four coaches, full-time coach partners. Wow. We're kind of an anomaly in the fact that we're a real live coaching firm. Uh, there's, there's a whole other podcast about why coaching firms don't exist in this way. Most of the time, it's a bunch of subcontractors. But it's a very mm -hmm. tight platform community. A lot of diversity, both in background and role. Um, Evolution.team, www.evolution.team is our website. Um, you know, we've got articles in our kind of list and whatnot. We send out, um, you know, different resources and happy to chat lots of different ways to get support and, uh, at the very least have a conversation. So amazing. Well, thank you so much, Matt. And, and for all the listeners, Matt's links will be in the show notes so you can get connected with evolution. You can get connected with him directly. Um, it's, this has been a wonderful conversation and I think very insightful for many people who are impacted by difficult bosses and or narcissistic bosses. So Matt, thank you so much for walking us through that and educating us on all the ways that we can navigate these situations. Yes, thanks for having me. Of course.